I turn your attention quickly to the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. We want to start in verse 35 and read through 39. Romans 8 verses 35 through 39. Some of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. It simply says this. We know that Paul wrote the book of Romans and uh, this is uh, the culmination of some introspection that he has been quite transparent with in his own life going all the way back to the end of Romans chapter 6, the beginning of Romans chapter 7. But when he gets to the end of Romans 8, you can almost like a symphony can feel the crescendo of his own uh, thought process as he makes this declaration. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And those two verses sound like they should uh, conflict with each other because verse 36 says that we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And verse 37 says that we are more than conquerors. But the key is the last phrase of verse 37. It says that we are more than conquerors through him. So we have to die out to this old man, this old flesh, this old will. But when we live in him, when we link with him, we are more than conquerors. And then verse 38, Paul says, for I am persuaded. He's convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Nothing can separate us from His love. I want to speak for the next few moments in your hearing simply on this subject. Victory is our business. Victory is is our business. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you once again for allowing us to come together with your people in your house and declare your great gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint our hearts and minds to receive your word and to speak your word. I pray, God, that our lives would be changed by the principles, God, that we extract from the word of God, and we will give you praise for all things. Everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Many years ago, I was uh, up here at Lane Pontiac, and uh, I was trying to buy a, a Pontiac, a little Pontiac. I think it was a Grand Prix of some sort. And um, I was going through this whole, you know, dog and pony show where you buy a car and they do this whole thing where, you know, they, they have to take, uh, you know, your offer back and talk to some guy that's behind a wall somewhere. And, and they go back there and, you know, they just talk about sports or drink coffee or something and say, let's take our time. So they think we're really, you know, negotiating over the numbers, which, you know, they're really not. They already know what they're going to sell the car for and so forth. And they leave you sitting in this little cubicle. And uh, this was the old days before there were cell phones or anything else. And in fact, I think it was even before bag phones. How many of you remember where your phone used to be in a bag? Do you remember that? And you had like this big antenna thing, like a ham radio and you pulled it up. And I remember my dad had one of those. We'd go in there and eat at Vinnegan's and he'd plop that thing on the table and then put up that big old emergency antenna and so we would be on call if anybody needed us and we'd sit there and eat. I think this was even before the bag funds because I was sitting in this little cubicle and I was bored and I was reading and looking around the walls in his little office there and I saw a plaque that he had on the wall 
And it said, what is a friend? And I I was so impressed with this. I even took a copy of it and put it in your bulletin uh, this morning. If you want to pull that out, I'm going to read it in just a moment. But when the guy came back and said, "Uh, we can't take your offer, but, uh, you know, if you can put $1,500 more into it, you know, we think we can put you in that little Grand Prix. And I said, well, I have to think about that. But this thing that's on your wall right here, is it possible you could take that down and go make a copy of it? I really want that. So he's like, well, I, I guess I could. I think it screwed into the wall there. And he went and got a screwdriver and he unscrewed it and took the thing out and went and made a copy of it. And for all of these years, I have hung on to this because I believe it's the great definition of what is a friend. Here's what it says. What is a friend? It is a person with whom you dare to be yourself. Your soul can be naked with him or her. They seem to ask of you to put on nothing, only to be what you are. They do not want you to be better or worse. When you are with your friend, you feel as a prisoner feels who has been declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think so long as it is genuinely you. Your friend understands those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With your friend, you breathe freely. You can avow your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meannesses and absurdities. And in opening them up to your friend, they are lost, dissolved on the white ocean of their loyalty. Man, that's just good writing right there, isn't it? I wish I would have written that. A friend understands. You don't have to be careful. You can abuse them, neglect them, tolerate them. Best of all, you can keep still with them. It makes no matter. Your friend is like fire that purges to the bone. They understand. They understand. You can weep with them, laugh with them, pray with them, through it all and underneath. Your friend sees, knows, and loves you. A friend. What is a friend? Just one, I repeat, with whom you dare to be yourself. What a great definition of what a friend is. And you know, the great thing about it is the Bible says... That there is no greater love than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Ladies and gentlemen, the best friend any of us could have is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you're a friend of God? Aren't you glad he's a friend to you? But if we were to juxtapose both that statement of what is a friend with what Paul was writing in the book of Romans, in my mind I saw similarities. Because the thing that strikes me about The quote of Paul that we read in our text in Romans 8 and the declaration of what is a friend is the certainty of it, the confidence, the unwavering belief in a friend or in a final outcome. What is it that causes a person to be so convinced about either the loyalty of a friend or the faithfulness of God or convinced about what the final outcome will be when we know there are so many variables in life. Recent months I have been fascinated with studying about World War II and and I was reading recently about how that as America prepared in the early 1940s for what they knew would be at the very least the possibility of war, everyone recognized that we faced overwhelming odds. We are in the wake of World War I and a Great Depression that had crippled our economy. And as a nation, we had, we had no heart or stomach to get into another world war. We saw this as a European conflict. And on top of that, Congress had passed numerous what they called neutrality acts, which were based in the idea that 
The oceans protected America's soil from foreign attack like some gigantic moat, so we didn't need to have all of our industries making war munitions and selling them overseas. So with no funding, the U.S. military had grown anemic, 18th in the world. Fewer than 200,000 men were enlisted, compared with 7 million Nazi soldiers. The Army Air Corps, because there was no Air Force at the time, we were just sort of a, the Air Force was sort of just a derivative or a subsidiary of the Army, and they called it the Army Air Corps. We had fewer than 1,300 combat planes, and most of them were technologically obsolete. Meanwhile, Hitler had been building secretly this this futuristic army. He'd been building it for years. It was a fighting force with unprecedented amounts of horsepower built on assembly lines and mounted on wings and wheels. And It appeared that no one could stop Germany. Hitler was fighting the engineers' war and there was no escaping the maelstrom. To win, President Roosevelt would have to harness the complete capacity of American industry and all of its resources in a way that had never been done before. And we had to do it as soon as possible. It would be a struggle in which all of our strength as a nation would be needed and the penalty for being unable to use all of our strength would be the loss of everything that we had. As Roosevelt called on Americans in industry to commit to this fight, he made it clear that we would prevail in this struggle against evil. In the wake of Pearl Harbor, as he addressed a nation that was shaking from this surprise attack, he had this famous declaration that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And his emulation of confidence in the final outcome of what this struggle would be, it permeated everything that we did as a nation at that time. Industry began to fire up. One particular uh, group that you're familiar with, a group by the name of General Motors, was one of those companies that went from literally standing still in the area of war munitions to converting almost 90% of its 41 operational divisions into making war munitions. The war product sales shot from $406 million in 1941 to $3.5 billion in 1943. They started building trucks and tanks for the Army and Grumman fighters and torpedo planes for the Navy. They made 7,546 Avengers and 5,920 Wildcats before the war was over. Besides our own nation, they built 20,380 trucks for allied nations. And when it was all said and done, General Motors alone manufactured 10% of everything that America made during the war. How did they do it? Ladies and gentlemen, they harnessed the American workforce. They had a slogan that hung in every factory. And the slogan that hung in every factory of General Motors was, Victory is our business. Victory is our business. That great generation of hard-working Americans brought victory once again to our nation through their sheer determination that failure was not an option. And we harnessed that same belief in the late 1960s when we put a man on the moon launched from pad 39A in Kennedy Space Center just a few miles up the road. And here we stand now in 2018, square on the shoulders of past generations in a belief that we do not have to accept evil as an inescapable consequence of humanity. But we are crazy enough to believe that if God be on our side, who can be against us? That the strength of a man or a woman is not our own ability, but our strength is when we link arms with a God who has never lost one battle, who will and is victorious over every situation. 
Victory is our business, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. You may feel like you can't conquer your addictions, and you may be right. But if you choose to serve God, if you choose to give your heart to a cause that is bigger than yourself, you, my friend, are in the business of victory because that is the business that Jesus is in. I said, that is the business that Jesus is in. You may not be able to defeat your own demons, but there is a God that is in this house that is in the business of giving victory to his people. The Bible says that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if Christ be in you, who can be against you? In our text from the book of Romans, Paul said, I am persuaded. This is what compels me this morning. He didn't say, I hope for the best. He didn't say that we're going to pray for a favorable outcome. He was convinced, persuaded, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He was convinced of victory. His confidence was not in his own ability, and it's not in our ability. And it's not in an environment that was pleasant and without conflict. In fact, his confidence wasn't quite the opposite, as ours must be. His confidence was in a Savior that would not allow anything to come between us. Not even our own mistakes. You've got to have a confidence that, you know what? Even though I've messed up, God is still on my side. Even though I've had a bad week, I've lost my temper, I've yelled at people on Babcock Street, but guess what? I still believe that God's going to see me through. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you could boil Christianity down to a single concept, it is the belief that we can have an individual relationship with our Creator. And that He is a friend that looks beyond our mistakes and still cares for us. So what we say today is that we dare, we dare to believe in a true friend. We dare to believe that this true friend will not abandon us even when we make mistakes. Because mistakes is something that is common to all of us, but I'm glad that I've got a God that doesn't judge me on my mistakes. Has anybody here ever made a mistake? Would you raise your hand? I read about some folks that made mistakes. They were made from typos in church bulletins. Apparently over the years, little ladies with typewriters, no doubt, in a hurry to get the bulletin out for Sunday morning, made a few mistakes. And if you'll just allow me to share some of these with you this morning. These sentences actually appeared in church bulletins, or they were either announced in church services. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. (laughs) The sermon this morning, Jesus Walks on the Water. The sermon tonight, Searching for Jesus. (laughs) Our youth basketball team is back in action Wednesday at 8 p.m. in the recreation hall. Come out and watch us kill Christ the King. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. 
<laughs> the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our community. Smile at someone who is hard to love. Say hell to someone who doesn't care much for you. I think they meant to say hello. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. (laughs) Miss Charlene Mason saying, I will not pass this way again. Give an obvious pleasure to the congregation. For those of you who who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Next Thursday, there will be a triumph for the choir. They need all the help they can get. Barbara remains in the hospital and she needs blood donors for more transfusion. She's also having trouble sleeping and she requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs occupied our pulpit. The pastor will preach his farewell message, after which the choir will sing Break Forth into Joy. (laughs) Irvin Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church, so ends a friendship that begin in their school days. (laughs) At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. I'm getting a little bit of flack up here from the (laughs) singers. Scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. Potluck sucker Sunday at 5 p.m. Prayer and medication to follow. Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. (laughs) And finally, our next song is Angels We Have Heard Get High. (laughs) If you've never made a mistake, would you please stand? (laughs) You know, it's not that... It's not that we declare as Christians that we will be free from mistakes. We just declare that mistakes will not measure the final outcome. We believe that our mistakes will not terminate our friendship or mitigate our eventual victory. We believe that we have a friend in Christ that's going to stick with us through thick and thin. And the only thing that can separate us and him is us. So we choose to say, we're going to be victorious. We choose to get up every day and say, you know what? I'm an overcomer in Christ. I don't have to worry about what decisions I'm going to make today. I've already made up in my mind, hallelujah, that because I serve one who is victorious, I'm going to be victorious. I don't have to wonder whether I'm going to make a mistake or not. I can know that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. You know, Paul, I was mentioned in our text, he was very transparent with all of his own weaknesses, especially in Romans chapter 7. He said, when I try to do good, I find that evil is present with me. Then he says, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. That sounds almost like one of those woodchuck riddles. He's like, I got good intentions, but my flesh is weak. And then finally, by the end of Romans 7, he's exacerbated with his own weaknesses and his own shortcomings when he declares in a rhetorical question, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He admits that his own 
weaknesses have overcome him and that he's helpless. But he starts out the eighth chapter in the book of Romans by declaring, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He works his way through Romans 8, building a case and finding his voice and the certainty and confidence of who Jesus is rather than who Paul is. He declares in the middle of that chapter as his soul literally begins to crescendo, he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Oh my goodness, I feel like declaring that this morning. If God be for you, who can be against you? Victory is our business because it's his business. We can do all things through Christ. There's got to be a determination in every one of us that I am going to overcome. I'm not going to let my weaknesses defeat me. I'm not going to lay down and die. I'm going to get back up on my feet again. And I'm going to declare that I can do all things through Christ. We may just be a collection of mistakes and miscues. But the miracle in all of this is the strength of Christ. He conquered sin. And so will you and I if we stay in him. He conquered hell, and so will we if we stay in him. He conquered death, and so will we if we stay in him. The key is to stay committed to Christ, to stay connected to Christ, and to stay focused on the mission. What is the mission? The mission is to overcome. There's going to be a lot of voices and a lot of things that come at us, but you've got to stay committed on what your vision is, what the mission is. As the Allied forces prepared for the invasion of Normandy toward the end of World War II, Dwight D. Eisenhower, the commander of the Allied forces, gathered his generals together. And he said this, and I quote, This operation is not being planned with any alternatives. This operation is planned as a victory. And that's the way it's going to be. We're going to go down there, and we're throwing everything we have into it, and we're going to make it a success. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to make up in your mind that you don't have any alternative. That there is no plan B. I'm planning on being victorious. We're not in the business of losing. We're not in the business of failing. We're not in the business of giving up. We're in the business of winning. We're in the business of overcoming. We're in the business of getting back up on our feet and living to fight another day. Not because of who we are, but because there's a cause that is greater than ourselves. And if I'm committed to that cause, I can overcome. Why is that? Because we have a friend in God. We have a friend in Christ. And not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height or death or any other creature. No mistakes or stumbles or hurts or hangups is going to separate us from the love of God. We believe we will and shall be victorious. I remember when I was a boy. I don't know, some of you may remember this and may still be committed to this but when I was just a young boy and I was going to school over here at Harbor City Elementary School on Sarno Road professional wrestling was a big deal and I used to love to watch professional wrestling it's not that I thought it was real but I was just fascinated by these people that were so over the top and I remember there was a guy by the name of Dusty Rhodes you may not remember 
remember. Does anybody here remember Dusty Rhodes? You're, you're dating yourself, you know. He had something he did with his elbow. I'm not sure. But he perfected this thing about, and the, it was even called giving him a Dusty. And they would run and bounce off the side rings and bounce and hit this guy with his elbow. And of course, we as kids, we would act out everything that we had seen. So we would get in the schoolyard over there on Harbor City Elementary, and we would run around. I'm going to give you a Dusty. And we'd, we'd give him the elbow and all that. Now, remember that they had something pretty fascinating that took place in these professional wrestling rings. There was a guy, great big guy, like 300 pounds of muscle. And he ran around in like Superman underwear of some sort. And he would bounce off these side rings and he would just pulverize this guy. I mean, he's just knocking this guy and he's bouncing off the candy. And you're thinking, the guy's got to be dead. And he would just get hit in the head and all over. And he would fall out on the ring just totally exhausted and pulverized and would lay flat on his back on the ring like this. And the other guy that had just beat the tar out of him, he would come and put all of his weight and strength on top of the guy like that. He would just lay flat on top of him. And there was this little guy on the side that was the referee. And he would get over there and he would look to make sure the guy's shoulders were pinned and he would go, one, two, And if he got to the three count, the match was over. But something miraculous took place at about two and three quarters. Still to this day, I can't understand how it happened. But the guy who was, we're not even sure if he's dead or alive, that's laid out on the canvas at like one, two... The guy on the bottom would just kind of like twitch one shoulder. It was just kind of like a... And the guy on the top would come flying off of it. Like kryptonite or something. It was... And I'm thinking, what did that guy do? He would come flying off of him and the guy would get back on his feet and the match would continue. I got to thinking about that and I thought, you know, sometimes you just get the tar beat out of you by the devil and life and circumstances. A lot of times it's just your own flesh. And you feel like you're laid out there and every evil thing in the world is piling on top of you. And the count's gone down to one, two. But you know what? If you can just give God some little tiny expression that you're not ready to give up yet. It doesn't have to be something big. You don't have to call fire down from heaven. All you got to do is say, God, if you'll give me another chance, just a little twitch. That's all it takes. Just a silent prayer. Just coming to church. Just reading your Bible. Just something that God can work with. I'm going to tell you something. The count has to stop. The enemy has to retreat. 
Because one of those that have been purchased with the blood of Jesus, someone that Christ has died for, has made up in their mind, I'm not ready to die on this hill. I'm not ready to lay on this mat and give up. I've been knocked down, but I'm going to get back up on my feet. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times do you get back up and say, I'm ready to keep on fighting. Victory is our business. I can't overcome. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Stephen Ambrose, who's a great writer, he wrote a couple of great books about invasion of Normandy. He wrote a book called D-Day. He wrote another book called Band of Brothers. And in his book, Band of Brothers, he tells the story of Omaha Beach, which was a battle that, the vicious battle where American soldiers came up and they had a hill they had to go up and it was all kinds of gun installations at the top and we lost over 2,400 men in just the first wave just in Omaha Beach and in this book Band of Brothers Stephen Ambrose talks about how that what they refer to as the longest day was coming to an end there was victory but it had come with a high price And he says, and I quote, Lieutenant Welsh remembered walking around among the sleeping men and thinking to himself, they had looked at and smelled death all around them all day, never even dreamed of applying the term to themselves. They hadn't come here to fear. They hadn't come to die. They had come to win. And win they will when it's all said and done my friend only what's done for Christ will last but I believe there's people that's in this building today that didn't come here to fear didn't come here to die didn't come here to give up came here to win You may not feel like you're strong enough to make it, but ladies and gentlemen, you are in the company of one who has already made it. And he is in the business of saving souls. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, greater love hath no man than this, and that a man would lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater victory. There is no greater friend. So I ask you this question today. On this day that we designate as friends day I wonder if you would come with your friend or your spouse or your family or somebody that you're standing next to I wonder if you would step out from where you're standing and just give the Lord just a small step you don't have to join the church you don't have to make some great life change but just give him something small come with your friend or a family member and would you come down and stand in this altar area and I want to pray for all of us before we go because I'm convinced that the key for all of us is that we have to link we've got to link up not only with each other but we got to link up with the one who has never lost a battle ladies and gentlemen he's not only undefeated 
that he is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. He is a friend that will never leave you nor forsake you. And all you and I have to do is to link arms with the one who has all strength. I remember Bishop, when they would do that wrestling, they'd have tag teams and one guy had been beat up, but if he could just get his hand over and touch the hand of his partner, that was on the other side of the ring. That's all he had to do was just touch him. And then he could fall out of the ring if he wanted to because now his partner was coming in with all strength, tan, rested, and ready. Ladies and gentlemen, all you've got to do is just touch the hem of his garment. He's got all strength and all power. It doesn't matter what mistakes, it doesn't matter what life has thrown your way. If you can just touch his hand. I wonder right now if everybody that is here, if you would just lift your hands and your voices right now. And would you just say, Lord, I link arms with you today. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the answers. But I acknowledge that I need you today. Oh, God, we are frail in our own flesh. We recognize that we are nothing, Lord, on our own. But, God, we believe that with your power and your strength, anything is possible. We believe, God, that you created us and saved us, Lord, for this day and this hour. We're not going to just lay down and die. We're not going to bury our head in the sand like the proverbial ostrich. We're going to get back up again and we're going to say, God, if you're on our side, we can make it. Oh, would you lift your hands and your voices right now? Would you touch the hem of his garment? Would you link arms? Would you link your heart with him? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. He's not giving up on you. He's still working on you. Oh, yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. We call out to you today, Lord. We thank you for your presence and your love, Lord. You didn't bring us here to die. You didn't bring us here, Lord, for us to run out of gas on the last lap. You brought us here to get us to the other side, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord. I'm a winner. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You're my strength, Lord. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. I've 